Hey there, this is Laren Baker, and welcome to the Kitchen Confidant Podcast. Before we chat with our guest, I just had to take a minute to share some news. I wrote a cookbook. I've been working on it for the past year, and I'm so excited that on November 30th, Meet to the Side, a plant-forward guide to bringing balance to your plate will be in bookstores. If you're looking for ways to add more veggies to your life, but still enjoy eating some meat and seafood, I wrote this book for you. This approach is all about making veggies the star without giving up meat. It's available for pre-order now on Amazon and major booksellers, so I hope you check it out. Now, on to our guest. Today, we're chatting with Rebecca White of the site A Pleasant Little Kitchen. Based in Dallas, Rebecca is a freelance recipe developer, talented food photographer and food writer, a frequent contributor to the Dallas Morning News, and is author of her newly released The Ultimate Five-Ingredient Cookbook, Whole Food Flavorful Meals Made Simple. I'm so excited to welcome Rebecca to the podcast. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to it all week long. Oh, me too. Your book is gorgeous, and I can't wait to learn more about it. But I always start by asking, what's the first thing you ever cooked and about how old were you? <laughs> this is funny uh, that you say this. My, um, it, I was probably very, very young. Um, my mom did not like to cook. She, it was probably the thing that she least looked forward to every day. And but I just wanted to cook so badly. And so one day I remember going into the kitchen and I decided I was going to make an apple pie. And I, <laughs> I made up some sort of made up dough and then I put apples in it and I put it in the oven. And I remember I gave it to my mom and dad and I was so happy. And I remember the look on my dad's face. He was like, what, what is this? Um, and I probably was maybe eight, eight or nine when I just decided I wanted to, to just get into the kitchen and dabble. It was something and um, it wasn't any good. There was no supervision involved and I have no idea what I was doing. <laughs> so that's like the first memory of, of cooking, um, but moving forward in life, I um, remember making with my mother a chicken noodle soup, and that's one thing that I had was like, "Mom, please cook with me. I wanna, I wanna learn to make something." And so she found a recipe for chicken noodle soup because we like to eat that, and um, we cooked that together. So that was probably when I was about thirteen or fourteen. That was quite an ambitious endeavor to make a pie at age eight and all by yourself too. So I admire that. And my mom was not a huge cook, but she loved to bake. So cooking was not her forte for a long yes, while. I, yeah, I know. I, the, my grandmothers, they would always tell me, because I would ask them, oh, can we cook together? I, that's what I was always asking to do with, with my grandmother or my mom. And, and my grandmother would say, I don't want to cook, but I'll bake, I'll bake with you, but I won't cook with you. I don't like to bake. Or I don't, I don't like to cook. I like to bake. So that sugar, that sweet tooth that so many of us have. Oh, that's fair. That's a good compromise. So can you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and what life looked like before you started your website? Yes. So I was, I, in my former life, I was a high school history teacher and I taught world history. Um, I have a history degree focused in ancient Rome and medieval Europe. And so I wanted to teach. And so I had, um, once I started having my children, I stopped teaching and I just stayed at home. Um, I tutored students on the side. And then 
one year after my son was born, I decided to start a pleasant little kitchen um, because going back a little bit, a, a lot of um, times through my life when I needed comfort, when I needed healing um, or just that creative outlet, I would find myself in the kitchen, which uh, then I would cook people's recipes and then I would just develop my own. And eventually people started asking me for recipes. And so while I was teaching and when I was staying at home with my children, um, I was texting people all the time, different recipes. And finally I was like, nope, let's just put it on a website. I'm no more texting all these recipes to people. Let's still have it on one spot. And then um, with that, I realized, oh, I need to have photos to go along with my food. And I started using my iPad and started following some beautiful, talented food photographers on social media. And then I taught myself how to shoot food along with developing recipes. I love how in a way you're continuing your historian roots because in a way you're documenting all the food for your kids and friends and family. Your photography is gorgeous. I do want to know more about that. In terms of learning how to cook and photograph, your style is so simple and elegant. It brings out the beauty of food. So you basically taught yourself. What is your process? What is that like? So the process for me, um, and I think it really just goes goes back to why I started my website and why I, not even my website, but what I find so intriguing about food is that when you look down, when you're prepping food, you look down and there's beauty there and the ingredients, there's color, there's texture, there's patterns, and and it's constantly changing through each each element of cooking from the raw state to the semi-cooked to the to the cooked and then to the plated and so my process when i am phot photographing my food is i try to uh, photograph the elements in the raw state with natural light i'm a natural light photographer and i want to i want to capture what i see in food and so it's it's, it's taking the the food and I'll go take it in front of the light and I'll photograph it and then I will photograph it as I'm cooking through it in different elements. And so sometimes it'll just be in a raw state or a prep state or in a and cooked in a pan or finalized on a plate. But it's um, I I photograph all of that through my recipes, trying to, to capture what I see so that I can share that with with my audience because eating feeding with oneself, feeding others, isn't just the actual act of cooking and prepping and, and putting it on a plate and giving it to somebody. It's, it's layered and we can enjoy our food so much more when we see the beauty in it or if, and if we understand what its natural state was before we created something new out of it. I love how food can be transformed into so many different things, but you're right, to bring it back and appreciate it in its raw state. I think that's why farmer's markets are inherently beautiful because there's so much possibility there. There is. And like when you are, whether you're at a farmer's market or you're even at the grocery store and it's a big market, I love looking down in my grocery cart and looking at it and being like, there's so many beautiful things here. And I get excited thinking about all the things that I can make from that. And sometimes I'll look at other people's grocery baskets and I'm like, oh, what are, what are they making? What, what, what does it say about us when we look down in our basket and be like, there's so many things at work and at play, and it's, it's wonderful. 
Although I will say if I have some chocolate in there or, you know, some Doritos, I'll say, don't look at my basket when I run into people. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta hide the, the, the not so, you know, pretty things on this underneath the, the pretty. <laughs> I mean, we all need our quick go-tos and our um, comfort foods, if you will. So you're right. The kitchen is more than a room to cook in. It is the space in which you feed the ones you love. Within these walls, memories and food are made. It is a room unlike any other. The very thought of its purpose is a pleasant one. So I love how you talk about that and the inspiration behind the name of your site. What is your kitchen like? Yeah, so my kitchen is, it is, is small. And it's, that's where a pleasant little kitchen came into play is because it wasn't, it's not a big kitchen. Um, there is a lot of natural light and I have a skylight that's almost right over my cooktop. And then looking out over where my sink is, there's three little bay windows that look out to um, my, my neighborhood street. So while I'm cleaning and eating, um, our neighbors are walking by and passing and wave. And so and people can probably see inside my kitchen. And sometimes it's a disaster. And I'm like, don't look today. It is an unpleasant kitchen. It is unpleasant. Um, but for the most part, it is it's, it's filled with light. Um, it used to be black countertops and gray stone. Um, but we have worked on it. My husband is very um, handy. And so he he made my kitchen a little bit bigger and he built the, the range over or the hood over my cooktop and he built me a pantry um, off to the side of my kitchen out of an old wet bar. And so he, when I talk about the space that we create in and where memories are made, that's kind of, it, that plays into part that a lot of my kitchen has elements of my family and my husband and my children and it's just it's a place full of memories and so many people have traversed in and out of it that I've been able to feed and it's it's just a beautiful space that I really cherish gosh especially a place where your husband put in so much hard work and labor into building it to be perfect for you so that's so meaningful okay so we have to talk about one recipe on your site that caught my eye smoke bologna. I have never seen anything like that. I grew up eating bologna, but, and I was thinking the other day that no one eats bologna anymore, but you do and you smoke it. So tell us more about that. Well, yes, absolutely. So a little secret, not a secret, but a, an element about my food. Anytime that there is a grilled or smoked recipe on my website, um, the, the ideas come from my husband. He is also, he loves to cook. And so one day he came home and he was like, I'm going to smoke a bologna. And I was like, hold up. <laughs> I love this idea. And, and so he just sent me to the grocery store and he said, just ask them to give you a whole bologna. And I was a little nervous because I, and it's kind of weird because I've never walked up to the deli counter and been like, okay, I need a piece of bologna. Just give me a big piece of bologna. And that's what I said. I was like, I need about one and a half pounds of bologna about this big. And the guy looked at me and he's like, slice. And I was like, mm-mm just whole. And so I, I come home and I give it to my husband and he is still in its little bag and he just squirts some yellow mustard in it, puts some grill seasoning, he shakes it and then he walks it out to the grill and just plops it on and he smokes it. And it is delicious. It is a crispy crust, um, and but it's that umami sausage taste that is just so wonderful when you pair it with smoke. It is 
delicious and sliced it thin. My kids went bananas over it. I went bananas over it. And so we were very, that's one of our favorites, little recent recipe. It sounds incredible. In my mind, I'm imagining a smoked mozzarella or smoked cheeses. Mm -hmm. The smoke imparts so much flavor. And it's beautiful too. I've never seen bologna that looks so pretty. <laughs> Thank you. I, when I was when I was shooting it on the grill, my husband was like, are you sure that's going to look good? And I'm like, I promise. This, the smoke is coming around it. You can see that yellow mustard and you can see the, the spice sprinkled all around it. And the grill isn't perfect. It's, you know, it's weathered, it's used. And you can, you can tell that by looking at it. And it was, it was a really fun piece to work on. I really, really loved it. So I'm glad it caught your eye. Yeah. Let him know. I was so intrigued. Is that something he grew up eating or was it poop? an idea I don't really know for, honestly like he will he will, he's a big um outdoor griller and smoker and so we're we don't have a grilling season grilling season's all year long for us and I think it's partially where we live in Dallas the weather is so great but um I think it just popped into his head because I mean I ate bologna like the sliced in the little weird container and on white bread with mayonnaise <laughs> that's the way I ate it growing up and when he came home saying smoked bologna, it, everything just, it all made sense. Okay. I do have another question about your website because it doesn't follow what I would say is the prescribed format that a lot of blogs follow, which I find refreshing because it's so simple. You have beautiful photographs and you go straight to the recipe. What is your thought process behind this? So my process on that is we because I, I just love food and I'm so excited to share what I have created, what I have seen, what I have fed my family, but also my friends. Um, when I, when people come to my website, I want them to be able just to catch their breath and be like, okay, all I'm looking at is food. I don't need the noise. I don't need all the copy. I don't need all the stories in which I, there is a time and a place where I will dive into stories and, and such. But for the most part, I don't, want people to be overwhelmed by food because it can be overwhelming. I want them to feel kind of like they've walked into a safe place where they can catch their breath and say, okay, I can make this. I can find something that I can enjoy and that I will be able to make and something that is beautiful. And honestly, I don't, I don't follow many, well, I don't follow food blogs at all. I, I actually read a lot of cookbooks. I, I have piles of cookbooks in my house that very rarely do I go on someone's website. So when I went to um, work on this website with a, with a husband and wife team, I just kind of sat down with them and said, this is kind of what I want. I, I don't want something that's going to be distracting and full of noise, but just subtle enough that people can get excited about what they're about to cook and they can just just cook the food. That's what we're here for. Let's just make dinner and make it good and get it on the table so that we can all just relax and gather and linger over food together. Well, I love that. And Thank I think you. it's very effective and it extends really well with your new book, which I'm excited about. Tell us how the Ultimate Five Ingredient Cookbook came about for you. Well, I got this interesting email um, in March of 2020, right before the world shut down. And it was from Page Street Publishing. Um, and it was just, we're interested in, in creating a book with you. What ideas do you have? And so it was right before lockdown and it felt serendipitous. It was just this moment of, 
this is what I've been working for. I've wanted to create a book. I wanted to write the book, develop the book, develop the recipes, photograph it. And here is this, this very simple email that just landed in my inbox. And so with talking with them, we came up with this idea of five ingredients, uh, helping others stock their pantry and cooking flavorful meals that aren't full of prepackaged ingredients that are just are not necessarily wholesome, but that are just that's where we're sticking with the basic ingredients to create delicious food. And so I developed a lot of these recipes when I was still doing um, online grocery shopping and they were getting delivered to my house where we couldn't get out, but my husband was working from home and my children were schooling and I would just be cooking in the kitchen, developing these recipes and then I would go have them try it <laughs> in the middle of the day whenever I wanted them to try it. And it was great. We would have long lunches because there was no rush to get back to what we were doing. There was no activities in the evening that we needed to get to because then we would have long dinners and all of this food that's in this book um, was very thoughtful that I fed my family over and over again. I fed others. I had Whenever I have leftovers, I called it pleasant little leftovers and I just send an email out and my friends come and get the food and I deliver it to them so I would get feedback from my friends and neighbors on what they liked about the recipes and and it was written in, in a very unusual period but a period where everyone's uh, normal schedule was blasted and what we needed was each other gathering and the comfort of food which is what food has always been for me personally um, for, for several years. Yeah it's so interesting writing a book too during the pandemic um, I wrote one too during the pandemic and the experience, you can't just go to the grocery store every time you have to shoot a recipe, you really need to be organized and on top of it because you're doing deliveries or pickups. And it wasn't like before where you're like, oh, I forgot the parsley. Yeah. And you're like, and then I would sit and like wait for my available time frame. Like it was like, there's nothing available right now. I'm like, no, I need it to be available right now. And so I would sit there in front of the computer, like willing an available time slot to pop up so that I could get my groceries. Um, but it was, it was very interesting. I, on the, um, one of the recipes that's a steak and, and broccolini one pan skillet mill and it uses reverse sear method for cooking the steak which makes the results so beautiful um but they sent me broccoli rob instead of broccolini and i was like this, this broccoli rob is not going to work it's not a replacement for broccolini and but it, that's exactly what cooking a pandemic or creating a, pan a cookbook during a pandemic can bring you to it's tough you talk about comfort food, and during the pandemic, everyone is creating comfort food. When you wrote out your recipe list, did you have in mind that you were going to go in that direction, or did the pandemic inform how the recipes came about? Yeah, it, it really, I don't even know that it was the pandemic that formed the recipes. I kind of, it sat down, it took a couple of, I mean, I took a while to kind of create this long list of possible recipe ideas that I had. And how I would do that. I have this book full of ingredients and there's no, it's just a list of ingredients, alphabetical ingredients. And I just took that book and I looked over each ingredient and I was like, okay, well, I want a dish that has this ingredient and this ingredient, and this ingredient. And then I went in and 
kind of brainstorm different recipe concepts that could be paired with these highlighted recipe uh, ingredient components. Um, so it really the, the pandemic, I don't know, did not form the recipes really. I, I cook more comforting food. It's what I lean more towards. Um, but comfort, I think comfort is always flexible. It's nimble. It changes with your season. It changes with how your day is. Some days comfort food can be a raw salad of one of my favorite recipes is the um, saffron cucumber sal olive salad. And it's just Persian cucumbers and olives and saffron and, and herbs. And it, to me, that is just beautiful comfort food, delicious comfort food. And it's really what, what was I craving at that moment in that season? So five ingredients. I think that's something that everyone can get on board with, but I know that can, it can also be challenging to cook minimally. So what are your tips for cooking minimally? So my tips are um, get familiar with how to use vinegar, your salts, and then your, your, um, your fats, however you're going to cook with that. And then also... Um, taking one ingredient and using it in multiple ways. So for instance, um, a lemon probably is one of the, the easiest way to explain this. There's a one pan lemon Parmesan linguine that it utilizes one lemon, but to, to cook the pasta with, I use strips of the lemon. So strips of lemon peel. And then, so it kind of infuses the cooking liquid that the pasta is cooking in. And then at the end, you take another lemon and grate the zest to give it a different, the zest is going to be a little bit different than a long simmer of the lemon peel and then to use the lemon juice. So it's taking one ingredient and using it in multiple ways. Um, I think bacon grease is another example of that of, or bacon, like having the bacon, cooking it, and then removing most of the fat, but then adding breadcrumbs to that bacon, bacon fat, and then toasting the bacon or the crumbs with the bacon fat. And then you have this very delicious bacony breadcrumb that's toasted and brown and can top any, any dish that would make someone very happy with. Um, so I would say learning how to use an ingredient in, in many ways, and then learning how to add vinegar at the end or the acid at the end of your cooking process or in the middle of the process to bring out more flavor that or flavor that you didn't even know existed. I love like with chili and with soups, um, I love adding a splash of red wine vinegar or white wine vinegar at the end. And it it just takes this maybe possibly like maybe two layered flavored dish and it it balloons it to almost this completely other depth of flavor that was not there before you can before you added the acid. And so I think trusting those ingredients too. And so that's what this book has. Like most of these ingredients or these recipes are going to have um, your basic elements, vinegar, um, olive oil or butter, canola oil and salt and pepper. And then it's adding you, asking you to add five ingredients on top of those basic staples. And that's, that's the key to minimal cooking is, is learning and knowing and trusting the power of the very powerful ingredients, which is those base ingredients. I'm so nodding my head because I'm such a huge fan of vinegar. Vinegar is used 
a lot in Filipino cooking. So I love having a variety of vinegars mm. on hand and adding vinegar to soup at the very end is probably my favorite thing to do because you're right. It lifts it up, deepens it, mm -hmm. it elevates something that was very simple before and adds nuance so that people are like, what is that? It's vinegar. It is. And it, it's like, I wish, I wish this, like if you walked into the grocery store, that vinegar was like right there, like right in front of you instead of like tucked away next in, in some aisle next to the, to the olive oil and the mustard and all the other condiments. It's, it's such a un, underrepresented, praised ingredient that once you experience it, there's no turning back. There's just no turning back. I agree. You acknowledge your dad and share how he was an amateur food photographer in the 80s. So I need to know more about him. <laughs> okay. So while my mom did not like to cook, um, she was a wonderful mother, wonderful, wonderful mother. Uh, my father loved to cook and he didn't have a lot of time to cook, but he was the one that would get excited about making these big meals and, and just feeding tons of people. And um, whenever we would go to restaurants, he would get out the camera, like, and he would take pictures at restaurants of his plates of food. And we would get so embarrassed. We would be like, Dad, stop. Like, why are you taking pictures of your food? And he was like, but it's so good. I want to remember it. And it's so, you know, he saw the beauty in food too. And, or whenever we would be at home and he would, he, we would have something, he would take a picture of the food. Or if we were at a family's house, he would take pictures of the food. And, um, and then, you know, we would always get excited about going to Walmart to pick up the developed film. And sometimes we didn't know that he was taking pictures of food. And then we'd be like, Dad, you took this roll of film. You, there's food in it. What is going on? So he was just, he, he would do that. And it stuck in my head. And then when I started cooking and I started taking pictures of my food and then I realized the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Is that, is that the thing? I don't know, but it was like, here, here I am doing what my dad did. And now I understand him so much more. And it, it, it tickles me actually. And it's, he, it was very influential. I think that's such a sweet story and feel like there's a book in there somewhere. Find all those old photographs. It'll be amazing. <laughs> he was ahead of his time. He was ahead. Of, he was so totally ahead of his time. Trailblazer. I'll have to tell him that. <laughs> okay. So your aunts also have special mention. It sounds like you have a lot of delicious food memories with them growing up. Was there anything in particular that you remember? So, I mean, my, my mind is just full of being with my family and eating food with them. Um, I, I, every week we were at my grandparents' house and my grandmother, while she wasn't, she didn't like to cook, she did like to bake and she always had a cookie jar full of cookies um, in there and the cookies would change. I, I always liked the chocolate chip cookies, but there was always something going on and, or she would always have a sheet pan chocolate cake baked or an apple pie. Um, and I think that's, that's where I was motivated to try to cook a pie like granny. And then she would have these little tarts, um, cherry tarts that she would make. She would always have, or she would have the fruit inside jello in the fridge. And no one ever liked that, but we would always be like, oh, yeah, thanks. I remember those canned fruit, right? Inside the jello? 
Yeah, and she was she was really proud of that. And the more that I I learn about food and I look at cookbooks from the fifties and sixties, I realize, I mean, that was that was fancy stuff. And so she was very proud of that that recipe. Um, but she, but she would always have roast once once a week, um, and she would make a iceberg lettuce salad with. Um, cucumbers sliced, but the cucumbers were always peeled. And then she would have a homemade buttermilk ranch dressing that she would put on top of it. And she had a jar that she would shake, <laughs> shake really hard. And um, then she would pour it on the salad. And then my grandfather was in charge of mashing the potatoes. So every week we would do that. And he would, um, he would always want bread, white bread and butter with, with, with the roast and mashed potatoes and salad. And so we, that, that just is in the forefront of my mind. And, but there was always other gatherings that we would do together. Um, and then I have family in, in Tennessee. So I'm from Oklahoma. Um, and so that my grandmother in Oklahoma would, I would see weekly, but my family out in Tennessee, that, that was the really, really big family. And, and those gatherings were always, we called it the week of feasting because every time we would go, it was just, we would wake up and it was a big meal. And then we would go to the next family that we hadn't seen that that year and there's another big meal. So while I don't really remember the cooking element, I the element of being with others that I loved is is what I remember. And so I feel like I'm constantly pulled into the direction of trying to get others together so that we can continue that that legacy, that inheritance that I was so fortunate to experience and that I want to have in my own home and I want to encourage others to have, but I also want for my children to give to their children. I think there are going to be a lot of families who will enjoy their meals when they cook from your book. And what's nice too is that it's approachable enough for a weeknight meal, but elegant enough to cook from if you're going to entertain from start to finish. So if you're going to plan a whole meal from your book, what would you serve? Hmm. So are we going for a, a dinner party? Yeah, let's do dinner for... parties since we okay. miss dinner parties. Okay, let me, let's see. I know I I do miss the dinner party. So I think, give me a second. I, for today, I think I would do the, the braised short rib, um, star anise short ribs um, with, oh wait, hmm. Oh no. And now I want something else, but no, we're going to stick with the short ribs. And that's what happens when you go through the book. It's like, oh, wait. Oh, yeah. I, I forgot, forgot about that one. Hmm. And then, okay. Braise and these short ribs. I'm going to do the cauliflower gratin. Um, what I love about this one is uh, the ground ginger that's in it. It's, it's just an unexpected flavor for uh, cauliflower, um, but it, it goes well in the, in the gratin, um, there is, uh, hold on, let me, I'm, I'm getting a little bit distracted. What makes also, what makes it just so beautiful is there's egg yolks. There's kind of a custard that I've um, stirred into the pureed cauliflower for the gratin, um, and it makes for a very rich meal. So this, this dinner party is gonna be a comforting, feel good, we don't mind if we gain five pounds type of meal here. Uh, so the spinach gratin, and then the lemony butter, lemony Caesar salad. 
And then of course we need to have some brown butter toast with that too. And then we'll end, and on the side, we'll actually, there'll be a, for the table, we'll do a little bit of the um, coconut mushroom gravy to maybe cover your short ribs with, or to maybe dip with your bread. And then the cilantro mint ice to end for dessert. <laughs> and what's, what's, what's great about this meal too, is that most of these are all, actually all of them would be make ahead, except for the brown butter toast. Um, the braised short ribs, you can make two to three days ahead of schedule, and then you can pop it in the oven to, to warm up. The cauliflower gratin, you can make a day in advance, two days in advance, and again, warm it up in the oven when you're ready. Um, the coconut gravy, again, you can make ahead of time. You can even make the day of um, an easy reheat. The cilantro mint ice, what I love about this is it's like a little granita, but you can make the, the cilantro mint ice in advance and then even put it in your serving cups before and just keep it in your freezer. And when it's time for dessert, you just bring it out and you can serve it to people. So all of these things, there's, um, they can be made, made ahead and they are, you're able to make them. There's few ingredients, so there's less prep, there's less grocery shopping, less to spend. And then it, it's, then it just makes for happy diners. It makes it like the thing about cooking. If you love cooking, you, um, you, there's joy to be had in the cooking process, but there's also joy to be had in feeding others and then also eating. Like it, it is such a gift when you love food and you love cooking. I couldn't agree more. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much. Before I let you go, I have a few fun questions. What's something you make when you're too tired to cook your go-to emergency dinner? Emergency meal. Um, it is chicken, chicken noodle soup. I always keep homemade chicken stock in my freezer. I actually am, <laughs> am simmering some chicken stock right now and it's been just getting some really thin egg. Yeah. <laughs> some thin egg noodles um, that I boil in the chicken stock. But I, my secret touch is I like to add a few slices of butter into the chicken stock while it's cooking. And it it's very comforting. And if I have like some, you can win that dish, if you have some vegetables you could throw in if you wanted to, um, or if you have some rotisserie chicken and you can chop that up and throw it in there. But for me, a bowl of homemade chicken stock with noodles is filling and it is comforting and everybody gets excited about it. I love soup, so that sounds amazing to me. What's the one recipe you treasure the most? I treasure um, the mother's noodles. It's um, a recipe that my grandmother has passed down. It's it, I, it's it's very old. It comes from the 1800s. My family were um, pioneers into Oklahoma. They came in wagons and uh, they they settled a town in, in a town. And there's this recipe that it's an egg noodle dish that you make by hand and the recipe card that I have from my grandmother, it says mother's noodles on it, but my grandmother would only make it on Thanksgiving and sometimes, and then she would make it on Christmas too, but it, it is, uh, so we call it Thanksgiving noodles and you can find it on my website, but it is a hand rolled noodle where you, egg noodle where you make the dough and then you roll it out and roll it into a cylinder and then you slice it and then you have your noodles and then you let them dry. And the 
but you cook it with um, a homemade chicken stock. And on the recipe card, it says broth from an old, old hen, O-L-E hen. So, but it's this vernacular from passed down. So an old chicken, broth from an old chicken and these egg noodles. And the, what I love about it is when you cook the, these handmade noodles, there's still flour on top of it. And the way my grandmother always did it was the chicken broth but she would put the stick of butter in with the chicken broth. And so that's where I get my always putting butter in with my chicken soup. She would put it in the broth um, that she would make and it would thicken, it would almost turn into a gravy. And so you would have this egg noodle with this homemade chicken stock gravy um, that she would serve with mashed potatoes that my grandfather would make and then the turkey for Thanksgiving. But the turkey was always dry, <laughs> it's always dry. But but the highlight, the highlight is those egg noodles and that we would all love. And we would get together at my grandmother's house to make the noodles. My my grandmother would roll, would roll it out. And she would be the kind that she would make out that big rolled out piece of dough and then roll it into the cylinder in a very big shape and cut. And it would just be on her full kitchen table and it would cover the whole table. Um, but I don't I don't roll it out into that big portion. It's hard for me to handle. Maybe one day I can work towards learning how to do that. But I would always watch her and she would say, you gotta roll it really thin. And we would try and she's like, that's not thin enough. And then she would go in there and 90 year old granny is rolling out this, this <laughs> pasta dough. Um, and my, my, I have cousins that they, that are second or third cousins. And they talk about how they remember when they would gather with their family to make this noodle and he would sit underneath the, the kitchen table waiting for the scraps of the dough and they would they would feed it to him. So it is, and this is a recipe that is from Oklahoma and it's five generations plus that while it, it's still doing that with my family and I'm teaching my children how to make it and I, I get with my sisters to make it. Um, I know that my second and third cousins are doing the same thing with their family because it is such, it's been passed down from all the women in, in our family. So that's my most favorite recipe. Even though it's not, not my recipe, it, it, it is something that I treasure very, very dearly. And hopefully your kids will continue that tradition. Yes, absolutely. Are you a messy cook or a neat cook? I, when I am a neat cook, normally when I have the ability to not just be creating and creating and creating, which that can get kind of messy when, because in my, the, photographs that I do implement into the cooking process. I, um, but when I'm cooking for leisure or if I'm cooking for a dinner party, um, I'm a very clean cook. I, I prep, I clean, I move stuff over. I like to have um, space in which I can feel like I can create space that I can pivot if I need to feel like, oh, wait, you know, I need to add something else to this. I want to have that space because I think if we limit in, in life like if we limit our vision we limit our, our work area our workspace then we don't we don't flourish as well we don't have room to grow so an open clean space that you can cook in allows you I think to make better food that's very wise what's a good mm -hmm. kitchen tip a secret tip um well I think with 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 that in mind I'm going to kind of piggyback off of that last comment is make sure that your cutting board is large is big enough to handle what you're about to cook because if you want to chop an onion full onion and then you have a space that's like as 
big as the onion or a little bit bigger, but not enough to, to really cut it, you're going to have pieces falling off and it's going to get messy or you're going, you don't know where to put the little hairy end and where you're going to put the, the, the other side. Like you don't know really know what, what to do or if you need to cut two or three things and you still have this small space, it limits you and it, it actually takes more time. So I think, I think one of my tips would be make sure you give yourself ample space, cutting board size, especially to, to prep your food and it will be less stressful. I think those standardized cutting boards are just not big enough. Okay, every Friday I try to share five little things, something that made me smile that week. Is there anything that made you smile this week? I, there is. Um, so in my neighborhood, my house sits on the corner and there's, we have this fence that is kind of a wrought iron fence. And my puppy dog, Marco, <laughs> he's a West Highland Terrier. Um, he's, he is a communicator, so he barks frequently. Um, but twice this week, um, we've had neighbors in passing, I've heard them say, hi, Marco. There was this couple that was driving their bicycle and uh, we were sitting having uh, a glass of wine one evening and they biked by and all they said was, hi, Marco. And it, he just got so happy. And then last night I was sitting with my husband because um, we have a patio that sits right there. And we heard from a distance, um, hi, Momo. And it, it was this little girl, she's 18 months old. Um, her and her brother and her parents specifically walked down to our house to say hello to Marco. And um, <laughs> hi, hi, Momo. And the mom said, we just think that Marco is the neighborhood dog. And that just made me smile because um, he, he is, we kind of want to have a sign that says, please pet the dog because he just loves love. And we love seeing other people enjoy his, his personality, his energy, and that our little dog can make someone's day. It makes, it makes my day. Oh, Marco is a cute little guy. So yeah. Rebecca, I really enjoyed talking to you. Where can people find you and your new book? Yeah, thank you. So um, you want to follow along with all the fun. My um, handle on Instagram is a pleasant little kitchen. And so you can find me on Instagram and Facebook. My website is a pleasantlittlekitchen.com. And then to order my book, The Ultimate Five Ingredient Cookbook, um, it's on Amazon, it's at Walmart, Target, Barnes & Noble, QVC, um, all those, so those are all the online vendors. On my website, there is a page that says cookbook, and then on the bottom of that page, um, past the endorsements of the book, there will be a whole bunch of other vendors that you can select from. So there's multiple ways to purchase the book. Rebecca, good luck with the launch, and I'm so excited to cook from it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad you're able to join us on this episode of Kitchen Confidant. Thank you again to Rebecca White for joining us today. I love her simple yet elegant approach to cooking and hope you check out the Ultimate Five Ingredient Cookbook. I plan on making her cucumber olive saffron salad this week. If you enjoyed this show, please take a moment to rate it and share it with a friend and join us again next time. Until then, happy cooking.